All right, let's turn together to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As we continue in the series on the Holy Spirit and the giftedness which he brings into the church. Um, God is with you and he loves you. It's pretty important message. God's with you. He loves you. God's with us. He loves us. There are a few ways that, that God has chosen to make that message known. Uh, part of that is creation. If, if we will, if we'll slow down long enough to recognize that through creation, like creation is speaking to us, saying that God is present and he loves us. Um, we see that communicated through the scriptures, this incredible gift that he has given us in his word. We see it, uh, that message, message communicated beautifully through the incarnation of Christ. Um, not only like the fact that he left heaven and came to earth and took on the form of a servant, but his teaching and his ministry and his actions and his sacrificial death on the cross and his, uh, his, the beautiful way by which he walked by faith and not by sight and entrusted himself to the Father. All of those things we, we see that same message communicated. And we also see it communicated through how the Holy Spirit empowers the sons and daughters of God to, to embody the presence and love of God in our world. So we, the fact that God's with us and loves us is communicated through creation and through the scriptures and through Jesus and through the Spirit's empowerment of the people of God. God has gone to great lengths to make sure that we know he's with us and loves us and that the people who don't yet know him as Savior and as Lord, that they will hear that message too. It's awesome. And really, that's, that's what the whole like, talk of spiritual gifts really needs to come down to. Is it's a part of how God is announcing that message. It's a part of that, that, that pronouncement of those incredible things. And so uh, we did four weeks on the Holy Spirit, and then it took a few weeks to do some other stuff, and then started in on spiritual gifts last week. But it really is all one big connected thing. And so today we're going to pick up in chapter 12 where we left off last time because the uh, Paul tells us that each one of us has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That within, within each of our lives, God is, is, is taking this um, maybe kind of hard to contain, hard to understand concept of his presence and of his love, and he's making that tangible He's like he's giving that an embodiment, and as I said last week, if you were to if you were to try to explain saltiness to someone, you really would have a hard time explaining it. The best way is for them to experience it by like giving them salt to taste. So salt is the embodiment of saltiness. You and I are the embodiment of that presence and love of God in really specific ways. That to each of his sons and each of his daughters, he's given us this gift 
this incredible opportunity to take some things about him and bring them from from maybe being hard to grasp to being really concrete. Because we're in we're here, we're in we're in three D. We're we're doing this whole thing. And in Corinth, they they were they were young Christians, meaning that they hadn't been Christians for very long. And as these different manifestations of the Spirit, as these different different attributes, different things about God became tangible among them, they did what we all do as broken people. They found a way to split and divide themselves among each other. We're really good at that as people, in case you haven't noticed. We love to find things that are different about us and then let, let that like segregate us somehow based on all kinds of different things. And it was kind of happening in the church as well because they were trying to take some manifestations of the Spirit and exalt them over other ones or saying that everyone should have the same kind of gifts and everything. And it was really confusing to them. And so Paul was like, okay, we're going to straighten this out. And so we're going to pick up today in verse 12. Uh, we did 1 through 11 last week, which was a lot aimed at how we are individually wired and built. Today will be more of a corporate, like more of an us kind of emphasis. So look at verse 12. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Okay? So you, you, you see the, the pattern there. He's like diversity and unity are coexisting within the church. That you're all different and yet you're all connected, which makes you all part of this one whole body. This is a concept he will build upon as we will read. But he's also saying like, hey, don't, don't forget how you all got here. Like the the one Savior died for us all. It's it, it's it's this it's the same pathway that we all got into the church. So there's a there's this unifying thing about who we are and how we got here. It doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter what you've been through. Doesn't matter what you've done. We're all here by the same grace of Jesus. And so that is what makes us one. And no, no difference in our giftings or our histories or what we look like or, or whatever it may be is going to, to change the oneness that Jesus has provided. And so then he keeps building on this, this idea of like using a human body. Look at verse 14. It says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say... Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. Okay. So what was happening to them is what we see happening to us as well. That they were, they were looking around the church and they were comparing themselves to others. And arriving at certain conclusions based on what was happening. And we talked about this at the men's gathering on Thursday. We're, we're trained from a very young age to do two things uh, over and over and over again. We compete with each other. 
And then we compare ourselves to the results of those competitions. And then we find another way to compete, and then we compare. It's over and over and over again. And so it starts when we're, when we're young, and we're in school, and maybe that's uh, we're taking tests, and maybe they're posting our grades up, and we're trying to figure out where we stack up academically. Maybe it happens on the sports field. Maybe it happens with the old, um, remember the president's physical fitness test and how awful that was? Like, how many pull-ups can you do? It's like, uh, none, uh, ever, you know, like... Uh, and then there's like the one kid who could do like 65 and never break a sweat. And like, he's like the pull-up king, you know, those kinds of things are happening in, in, in all those different ways. And we're, it starts when we're young and as we get older, we just add more things to it. Then it becomes uh, your relationship status or how many friends you have, or it becomes uh, how much education you did, or it becomes wh- how much money you make or what you drive or how you live or where you live and all these kinds of things. And it even goes into the, the point where you have folks who are very late in life still comparing themselves to their peers, still competing, still finding ways to like find that validation and accomplishments and all these kinds of things. And we're as broken people, we're super good at this. And here's this young church, these young believers, and they've fallen into the same pattern. They're comparing themselves to others and different like ministry skills and gifts and those kinds of things, all these manifestations of the Spirit, and they have created a hierarchy, and they've really exalted speaking in tongues above everything else, and, um, and, and prophecy as well, and it's become really divisive among them. And Paul's saying, are, are, are you really, do you really think that that's how it works? Do you really think that as you compare your, like the giftedness, that, like the way that God shows up in your life, you're comparing it to how God shows up in someone else's life? And you're figuring that you're better than them or worse than them, depending on something else. Like, like as if maybe God's favor is more on them than on you and that kind of stuff. It's as ridiculous as your hand saying, well, because I'm not a foot, I'm not a part of the body. You know, it's absurd. But that's what they're doing. And it's so easy. I mean, it happens so much of the time. I remember, I told a story in the first service. When uh, like I, came, I grew up at Zor Baptist out in Central and in like the 90s, the, the pastor there is named uh, Carol Marr. And he, like, if you were going to be a preacher, he's who you wanted to be when you grow up and still is. And uh, just phenomenal at everything. And he would do this thing where he would, every, every now and then, he would bring all the children in the room to the steps. And he would sit down with them on the steps. And the little angels would come. And all would sit quiet and still. And he would just talk talked to them. He had this rapport with them and they just eaten out of the palm of his hand. He always had this object lesson and it was just, it was incredible. And, uh, his opening line every time was, uh, so how are things at home? Mom and dad doing okay. Is there anything I need to know about? And the parents would be like, Oh no, kind of buck out for a second. And he would, I'm just kidding. You know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, just a whole room would lock in. It would be just an incredible time, and you feel like you learned so much from this kid's sermon, and then he'd let them all go back. So when we planted uh, our church in 06, Advent was coming up, and I was like, I'm going to do that thing that Carol used to do. I'm going I'm to do a kid's sermon. And so I call all the little angels down, and it just didn't work. It was awful. And I was I was awful, and they were just being kids who had no prep for this at all. They had no context for it. And so 
they're crawling all over the stage and I'm not making any sense. And the parents are all waving at them. I'm like, quit waving at your kid. You're messing up my moment here. You know, awful. And I vowed that I would never do it again. And then someone pointed out, we still had three more Sundays of Advent and I had to do it three more times. And then I seriously said, I'd never do it again. And I haven't (laughs) because I was so bad at it. And so, but I found myself being like, man, Carol just made it look so easy. He was so good at it. Why can't I be as good at it as him? And I feel like that sentiment can creep its way through congregations very easily, especially especially churches that are not huge like, like ours. You know, It can very easily become, well, the gifted people are the ones that have titles and they're in leadership. Or they're on the stage, or they, you know, the, the, those kinds of things. We can, we can very easily kind of, without cognitively doing it, we can break ourselves into a situation where we're like, well, I'm not really part of the church because I'm not doing this. I'm not really a part of the body because I'm not a hand. I'm not a foot. That kind of thing. And Paul's saying, do you, you just don't understand the beauty of what God has done. And you're, you're letting that division come in and you're letting the enemy lie to you. And that's keeping the whole church from functioning in the way that God has designed. He keeps going. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? I think about that. Think about the whole body being an ear for a second. That's pretty awesome. How would we get around? <laughs> Terrible. 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And yet, and as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. See, Paul sees it this way. The Corinthian church was not seeing it that this way yet. That the diversity that exists here is something that we need. That diversity and unity coexist in the kingdom of God and in, in the church. That we really can all be different and be one at the same time. Now our world doesn't know how to do this, do they? All we know how to do is to be different and let that segment us. And yet Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to do this beautiful thing where I take a bunch of different people, different, different in a number of, of ways, and I'm going to make them one. I'm going to bring them together in a way that they cannot separate. And even though they may try, it will not work. That God has built the church in a diverse way, which we need, we need her to be diverse. We, we, we need that. It's very, very important. If we're going to fulfill the mission and the vision, we have to be able to do different things as we engage the world. As he said, if the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of uh, smell be? You know, Think about it. If, if, if our congregation was made up of, and everybody had the, the same natural manifestation of the Spirit... We would get zero things done. Not even the one thing we would all naturally be good at. We couldn't even get that done. Because none of those things can exist without the other things. 
So if we were, if we were all evangelists, but there was no administrator among us, we would just be like chaotic. It would just be chaos all the time. If we had no, there were no prophets, there was no, there was no apostle, there was no shepherd, no teacher. If those things were not all present, we were all just one trick ponies. We would get nowhere. So God, in his infinite wisdom, was like, how about we make them all different? They're all different anyway, right? Even down to our fingerprints. They're all different anyway. Let's manifest differently all around the room and make this mosaic that comes together and says, this is what God looks like. Brilliant. Brilliant. And he's smart enough to know, left to our own devices, we're going to royally mess it up. So uh, let's empower each of them to actually get this done. Let's bring that divine empowerment to the table so that we can actually fulfill the mission and vision of the church. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may, that there be, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. One member is honored, all rejoice together. I know there's a lot in that middle paragraph, like, what is he talking about? This, 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 this. But we need each other. That's, that's what he's saying. We need one another. At no point can we really say, I, I don't need anybody else. I don't need what anyone else has to offer. I don't need anyone else's spiritual gifts. I don't need anyone to encourage me. I don't need anyone to hold me accountable. I don't need anyone to speak truth to me. I don't need anyone to care for me. I don't need anyone to walk with me. I don't need anybody to check in on me. I don't need, I, I, I'm just, I'm fine. It's a, that's a total lie. That's a total lie. We absolutely need one another. I need every gift that every person in this room has. I, I need it. I need all of them. You need every gift that every person in this ha- every person in this room has to offer. Like we all need what everybody has has to offer. That's how he built us. That's what Paul is saying here. Our pride says, "I have no need of you," but life tells us over and over and over again that we really do, doesn't it? it says there should not be division in the body in verse twenty five, but the members may have the same care for one another. One member suffers, all suffer together. One member is honored, all rejoice together. I had appendicitis like years ago. That's one part of the body that was infected and needed to be needed to come out. But you know that my feet really cared about that. <laughs> you know, my shoulders really cared about that. That's how it works. Your entire body is affected. 
And so when one of you goes through something, we all feel it, even if we're not aware of it. When you go through something great, we, we feel it. When you go through something dark, we feel it. And we have to have each other. And that's so much of why we have structured the church like in terms of organization of ministry. That's why we've done it the way we have in terms of our community groups. Because as great as this big group of people is, it's hard to care for one another in a big group. You know, there are 40 or 50 more at the first service, and so that get, it gets to be a lot. And so it's just a logical thing. Let's, let's break the big group into smaller groups. And so you have this group that you're sitting around a living room with, and that group is putting all their gifts on the table and using them all. And so as people are going through different things, we're celebrating together and we're mourning together. And you're able to strengthen the faith of others and their faith is being strengthened because that's what gifts are, are doing. And so that's happening within all of those little pockets, which means it's happening within the big group. It's just really hard to do it in a big group. And we're several weeks away from groups starting back. And I, I want to tell you now, you, you, need, you need people. You need to be in one of these groups. When people say, well, I don't have time for it, I'm too busy, or this, 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 this. I understand life is hectic, but find me something that's more pressing than this. You know, Find me something that's more pressing than you walking through life down the path of righteousness for his name's sake, walking by faith and not by sight with other people. Tell me what takes precedence over that. I know sometimes we've got to work things out and I know we only have a number, a limited number of groups on a certain number of nights and that kind of stuff. And if, if that gets to that point and you say, I want to be in one, but nothing fits my schedule, what can I do? Come and talk to us about it. But we, you just can't walk through life by yourself. It doesn't work that way. It wasn't, you weren't designed to work that way. That there's this beautiful interconnectedness about our lives and he designed it that way. That the, the goodness of the church, that's a part, a part of it, is 100% of us giving of ourselves in these natural ways. And so we're all cared for. Um, it's very important. Now, in the next paragraph, he starts to list some specific gifts. And at first, it's going to sound like he's rattling off a hierarchy, which is what I've been speaking against, right? But... It sounds that way, but I don't think that's really what he's saying. Look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Okay. Now at first it sounds like the the most important people are the apostles. And then it's sort of like like the the chart or however you want to think of it goes out from there. But another way of looking at it is is when you look at the book of Acts, it's kind of how it's kind of the order at which these gifts and roles began to emerge. Right? The apostles were first. Makes makes sense. The 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 prophets among them, the ones who are like this is what this is what God is saying in this moment. And the teachers and then the miracle gifts, like those, those things, you kind of see the book of Acts kind of going in this, in this direction. And so 
it isn't necessarily a hierarchy. It's, it's kind of like this is how he built the church. He, he did it strategically and structurally. He put the, the leaders in place first. Their, their gifts came out first. And every time Paul would plant a church, that's what would happen. He would go in and he would try to identify the elders. But what he's saying is not necessarily a hierarchy, but he's getting to points point in verse 29. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The implied answer is no. After everything that he has laid out there, in other words, he's like, I've already told you, you're not all afoot, okay? So you're not all going to have the same gifts. In their church in Corinth, they were trying to exalt the people who could speak in tongues above everyone else, and he's like, you're missing the point. You're not all the same. And that's beautiful. God has done this incredible thing among you. And there's probably a part of you that's like, now can we talk about speaking in tongues? Because that's what he's been doing. He's been laying this foundation. And if that's why you came today, I'm here to say, just come back next week. Because that is definitely what next week will be about. But he's like, you've got to understand these things first. But you're still not ready to hear about tongues. Because there's one thing, one more thing, that has to infiltrate this entire discussion. That's why he says at the end of that, end of verse 31, I'll show you a more, a still more excellent way. And it comes into chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. Okay, so let's say I can speak in tongues. What if I'm really, really good with words, both in English and in this heavenly language? If that is not done to bring to make manifest love, like the love of God, then I'm just a distraction. Like if Cody had been in the drum cage over here the whole time, just like smashing the cymbal, just the whole time. It had been hard to pay attention to that, right? We're so easily distracted, even when we're even when we have no distractions. And so imagine that. And what he's saying is, if your gift, if you're using your gift without love, you're taking the attention away from God, which is the whole point, and you're putting it on yourself. Remember when Jesus said, "Don't be like the like the hypocrites who stand up on the street corners and pray really, really loud so that they could be heard by men." What he's condemning is that like they're drawing the attention to themselves. And that's what Paul is saying here. If, if you're not driven by love, if, you're, if you don't want to know about how you're gifted and how other people are gifted, if that's not motivating, motivated by love, then you're distracting because you're taken away from the glory of God and you're putting it on yourself. He goes on. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith, so, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. He lists all these things everybody wants, right? Knowledge, I want to know all the mysteries, and I don't have faith that can move a mountain. He's like, if, that's, if love is not what's driving you into that, then it's, it's empty. If I give away all I have, I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain 
nothing. You can be the most generous person in the world. You can be the most self-sacrificing person. Why? It has to be driven by like this deep desire for us to embody the love and the presence of God for one another, for the sake of the world. When that's driving us, then we're, then we're really being of the church. Then we're really being who we're made to be. When that's not driving us, we're actually distracting uh, everyone from the glory of God and the love of God and the whole point of it. And I bet, without getting too negative, I bet we've seen self-centered giftedness being used before. We've seen people who are motivated by other things than love. And I feel like you can just spot it sometimes. But you can also spot when love is what's driving the church. And it's a beautiful thing. And here's how you know, verse 4 might have heard this before. It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, if that's love, then that's also God. And if that's God, then that's the image that we were made in that, and that Jesus is redeeming. And so that's also us. That's also our gifts. And so this whole conversation is coming down to like, like God making us the embodiment of this for the sake of the world and for the sake of ourselves and the sake, for the sake of his name. So another way to think about spiritual gifts, if you, if you need, like, just reduce it down, just give me, like, one final concept. Like, one, what's the best way to understand gifts? Think of it this way. How can I manifest love in this moment? How can I love you as God loves you in this moment? How can I be the embodiment of how God thinks about you and feels about you and his heart for you? That's what he's getting at. Verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, that'd be Jesus, the partial will pass away. So hey, if if you're going to sink your life into obsessing over something, make it something eternal. In Corinth, they were obsessing over speaking in tongues. And Paul's like, there's a place for that, but you really need to be obsessing over, over love and the glory of God being manifest among you. That's, you want to sink your life into something? Give up your worthless hobbies and interests and like all these kinds of things that do not carry over into eternity and sink your real energy into stuff that matters. And I feel like that's such a relevant message for us today as well. He's like, yeah, these things are, they have their place and they're important, but you, you really want to do something that counts? This is, this is what counts. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. It's almost like he's telling this group of believers in Corinth, like, hey, it's time to grow up. This division among you, this hierarchy, all this kind of like, you know, that's, 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 for, that's for kids. No offense to kids, that's for kids. It's, it's time to grow up. And this is why. Look at, 
Look at the next verse, 12. We see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What's he talking about? Well, this is a temporary situation that we're in. The giftedness that you and I carry and, and like the way that God manifests among us, the clock is ticking on that being necessary. But there is a time coming when we believe Jesus is coming back for us, right? And on the other side of that, when the new earth is, is fully consummated and established, these things are not going to be necessary. So now, while we are waiting for that day, while these things are useful and necessary, we got to get after it. Like, the daylight's burning, the clock is ticking, however you want to think about it. Like, this, there needs to be an increased urgency. And I feel like that's a part of what he's telling them is like, look, you're sitting there in Corinth, and you're all arguing with each other, trying to form this hierarchy, and the people in your whole city have no idea who Jesus is. Why in the world are you wasting your time? Good word, I think. So his closing before he gets into speaking in tongues is now is verse 13. Now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? Love's the only one that goes to the other side. Won't need faith anymore. Won't need hope anymore. But you know what we need now? We need faith. Our gifts are here to strengthen each other's faith, to be able to walk away trusting God more after every encounter. We need hope. Hope is alive because Jesus is alive. We have to know that and be reminded of that and make sure people know that. And the love of God that's manifesting among us, that's the one that carries on. That's why it's the greatest. But man, you want to put your life into something? Put it into faith and hope and love. Like he, Abide means to like set up an encampment. Camp out in these three things. I love that, that word. And I love, I love uh, being a part of his bride. I've always been a believer in the church, even... Even when she maybe isn't that uh, that awesome, when I read these kinds of things, and I'm reminded of the strategy and the beauty, the intentionality with which God has not only saved us but built us and put us together, and we're joining Him in this like incredible thing that He's doing. Uh, how awesome is it to be a part of that? And every one of you are. If you are in Christ, you are a part of this. If you are not in Christ, if you're here and you're like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm a part of that or not. You don't need to leave here wondering that. I'll be right down here when we're done. I want you to just come talk to me. If you're like, I don't really like you, I don't want to talk to you. Find somebody else around you. Go to someone and says, you look like you can answer my question and ask them. But don't leave here wondering that. Jesus has done an incredible work and it The more we study, the deeper it goes and the more beautiful it gets. So let's stand together. You know, we, in the pre-COVID days, we would take communion together and do all that. We haven't quite figured that out yet. But we can still sing. You can still pray. And so we're going to respond together. So let me pray for us as we get ready to respond in different ways. Lord, I'm thankful for this group of people. 
and to be here together with them this morning. And even scanning around the room, there's there's immediately just example after example of specific ways that you just naturally manifest your presence and your goodness through so many of these lives. I'm so thankful to have been on the receiving end of people using their gifts and for the way my faith is strengthened just by being around other believers and people just being themselves in the way that just edifies me. And I hope me being around them is edifying to them as well. And just thank you for for the energy that comes as you remind us that we are filled with your spirit and that each one of us has been given that manifestation of the spirit for the common good, like for the building up of one another. Thankful that I'm in a room full of siblings. And we stand with arms interlocked, walking through the best of life and the worst of life together. We may not always be awesome at that. You know, we may not always know what to do, but your grace and your patience walking us through that is incredible. And all of this, Lord, really is, it's just not about us as the, as the created ones. It's about our creator. As we sang in the beginning, it's about you as this artist who has put your church together in this beautiful way that we're just beginning to get a, a, glimmer of an understanding of but really it's all just to point us back to you that's what all the gifts are about that's what this whole thing is about seeing you for who you are and so as we sing in response this uh, this very corporate song I pray that some of these dots will begin to connect even more with us as we just lift you above all else